to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, emergency response, crisis management, resiliency, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Uh, speaking of topics, if there is anything you'd like us to address on the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America webpage, and there is a little button underneath the graphic for uh, Preparing for the Unexpected that says something to the effect of send host an email or a note or something along that lines. I do get all the emails you send, and I do respond to everything. And if you're a long-time listener, you know that uh, we've actually had people who have contacted me that way and been a guest on the show. We also have some available sponsorships or advertising available, and if you've got any questions about that, again, please send me an email. Now, today's show, uh, for long-time listeners, you know I've been talking uh, about attending the Continuity and Resilience Today conference here in Toronto. That is where I am actually today. And as we did last year, we are interviewing uh, as many of the speakers as we can and that uh, want to be interviewed. And today I am lucky enough to have Mr. Ivan Rincon, who had a session here. So Ivan, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, pleased to be here. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're from and what you do, and, and actually how you got into this industry? Uh, so I'm currently living in uh, British Columbia, Victoria, the capital of the province. Uh, I'm originally from Latin America, came to Canada 15 years ago. And my profession is more on the project and program management areas. However, um, I have had uh, plenty of experience working with business continuity and emergency management public safety projects. Uh, which is the reason why I became involved in this field, and almost by luck, I would say. Uh, but it's something that I have always liked because this is one of those things that we know has a positive impact on citizens and the population in general. So in addition to my I know, project and program management skills, I really like to uh, get involved in these kind of projects because they always bring something good for, for us in general. Well, that's good to hear because I also have a second career, which is program management and project management. So this is going to be an interesting chat because I'm really going to understand what you're saying. Okay. Uh, and for anyone that uh, doesn't quite know, the province of British Columbia in Canada is our province on our west coast. So it's above um, Washington, right? Yes. Yeah, we have uh, my American share. geography, right? Yeah, yeah, we have a shared border with uh, Washington State, which is actually pretty relevant to this whole discussion because uh, we basically share the same threats that uh, mm -hmm. even to us by nature. So we'll talk about that a little bit in a second. Well, can you tell us about your uh, session that you had here? Because you it was catastrophic response actions or extreme BCP, how to plan for the real world case scenario. So what? is the worst case scenario really for British Columbia? British Columbia. So what happened in British Columbia is that we, as 
probably many of many of you already know, we live in the what is called the Ring of Fire in the Pacific Ocean, and uh, because of that, we have a very very active seismic area. And the only problem that we have is that we haven't actually had a very big earthquake in the last 100 years, as opposed to what happens in Japan, Indonesia, and Alaska, and even South America. So people are not necessarily aware of all the consequences that this actually may bring to us. So what has been happening over the last few years is that we are kind of now understanding more about the physics of, of the tectonic plates that um, basically lurk underneath our beautiful province, and especially in the coastal areas. And uh, we need to understand what the consequences will be for us as a province if um, either the big one or another earthquake caused by the same um, tectonic plates will actually affect us and what the consequences will be for the government of BC and of course for the people in BC. Well, I guess as you work through that, you're not, I guess it can be almost comparable to what happened in Japan. You would have an earthquake and potentially a tsunami, right? Yep, that's exactly it. And um, we, we are actually exposed uh, to tsunamis coming from Asia. And historically, we have records of tsunamis uh, triggered by earthquakes in Japan, in Indonesia, and so on. You mean, and actually, you mean BC has actually oh, felt yeah. those? Yeah, really? and actually the other way around. So oh. um, historically, the last big earthquake that happened in the, subduction, in the Cascadia subduction zone uh, happened in the year 1700. And of course, that was a time when the west coast of North America wasn't that uh, uh, explored. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have too many records. Uh, there were some um, indigenous people that had some uh, historical records uh, from something that had happened in those years. Uh, but the way that the scientists were able to confirm that that was actually an event, a very big subduction event, was because of records in Japan. Oh. So they found out something that is called the orphan tsunami uh, that wasn't actually triggered by any earthquake in the area. And they kind of went backwards from that and they found out that, of course, there are geological records in the Cascadia zone of an earthquake roughly 300 and something years ago, which is exactly what they uh, were affected by in Japan. Well, that, that's interesting. Does that mean or is there potential where uh, the British Columbia government uh, works with other countries to in general, together? yeah. In general, when we, when we talk about uh, the the Ring of Fire in the Pacific, we're very well aware of what's going on. And for example, tsunami warnings is something that the province of BC has had for many years, uh, coming from NOAA, which is the North American entity that deals with uh, all atmospheric and, and those kind of um, phenomena, and they have uh, some buoys in the Pacific Ocean that will alert us with quite a few hours of anticipation if there is a tsunami coming, for example, for Asia. So that is a national, uh, natural collaboration because of that fact. And also, for example, on, on the seismic side of things, there is a Pacific Seismic Network that covers not only British Columbia, but also goes down to Washington State, Oregon, and California. And we exchange data. We have a way to actually understand what's going on all across the, the west coast of North America. So you really are working with other partners, yeah. Right? The, the other uh, infrastructure that's been put in place, you know, like the the seismology um, people, the the buoys or buoys in the ocean, things like that. You know, that may be 
there from Japan or something, but you are working with external yeah. partners. Yeah, well. in the in the, geolo the geology and seismic fields, we have a joke who says that uh, uh, there is no borders for an earthquake, right? Which That's is true. true. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't really matter if the earthquake happens in uh, close to Vancouver Island or down south in Oregon or even North California, we will be affected, right? So you really can say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna only deal with the stuff that goes to the 49 and off we go. No, we have to really be conscious of uh, the fact that this is something that is and comes with the territory, right? So we have to work with others. That's right, you know, disasters don't uh, stop at the border. They, That's exactly they, it. You know, <laughs> you've gotta to work together with everybody there. Yeah. You know. So going back to the presentation, what happened is that uh, the government of BC many years ago understood that, yeah, an earthquake or, any catastrophic event, but especially an earthquake because of where we live, uh, was going to be very disruptive to the government. And um, some audits came and say, well, you know what, you're not prepared. So we went through a process of understanding what that meant, and in 2000... I was just going to ask you, how did, you know, uh, because there's always the argument, you know, with auditors, do you have a plan because it's a tick box, you know, what did auditors say that, you know, that helped um, you know, the, the government decide. Okay, you know what? Really, we really need to give more focus to this. The the comment was very uh, general, very generic, but it was clear. Like BC is not prepared to respond. The government of BC is not prepared to respond to an earthquake. Mm. That was okay. basically it, right? And uh, and then that was kind of a. I mean, I wouldn't say that kind of woke us up to something that we didn't know because we knew it. Uh, and we'll probably get to that in a second, but there were plans here mm -hmm. and there, but there wasn't necessarily something that was coordinated across uh, government. The, the key, right? The yeah. coordination, yeah. So, um, so in 2017, uh, there was one uh, report that was created in 2015 that basically is called the Immediate Response Plan for an Earthquake, and that was led by the Emergency Management BC, which is the agency within the province that deal with these kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that was kind of the first effort, but there was something else that needed to be done, right? So basically the presentation was, um, was to walk through the process, how we did it, um, how we got where we are right now, what are the future next steps and so on, right? So it's, it's I mean, you, you can think of that as a, as a framework slash kind of methodology slash kind of you know, process-oriented um, mm -hmm. way of looking at this problem and how it can be solved by, in this case, a provincial government, but some of the steps can be actually applied to other levels of government or even you know, private companies if they want to look at this as a, as a problem they want to address, right? So it's kind of like a business case. Yeah, it is. Not, sorry, yeah. not a business case, a case study. Yeah, it's a case study sorry. in that sense, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, you, you just uh, made an interesting point uh, with what you're doing. Organizations might be able to leverage uh, smaller communities, may be able to leverage you know, cities or towns or villages, yep. municipalities, whatever, whatever term you want to use. Uh, do you work with them or do you stay within the, you know, the realms of the provincial government and then you know, funnel things down or do you work in partnership with, because somebody in the interior of British Columbia, which is a, a very large province for anyone who doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, it is very large, large province. You know, um, countries fit in it. <laughs> you know, uh, there is a, a big difference between what someone in the interior, in Kamloops, let's say, is going to experience than Victoria, where you live. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's a long answer to that, but the short answer is okay. uh, we have a focus mandate right now just to deal at the provincial level. Okay. Um, because really the pro the problem that was uh, 
presented to us was um, how can we continue government and provide the services as a province to the citizens in, in, in a catastrophic event. That was kind of the problem statement. Um, so of course, there are different levels of government and you have to mm -hmm. interact with them, but of, but you need to start somewhere. That, that's the right. point, right? So, um, interestingly enough, in uh, in British Columbia right now, the, most of the emergency management functions are actually um, completed or they're done at the municipal level. So the province only has a coordination role, uh, but all the responses and all that actually have to happen at the municipal level. So, what we are looking at is how this will benefit them so they understand what the processes are to actually get to a point where they can actually respond to a catastrophic event um, beyond what they currently have in their you know, typical emergency management plans, right? So so it is it is a combination of things, so it's mm -hmm. not a one-size-fits-all thing, right. but, we, but we think that approach is actually happening. Now, on this particular exercise, we actually work a lot with um, uh, the it's not the city of Vancouver, but it's the Greater Vancouver area, which is I know, quite a few a dozen municipalities, mm -hmm. and they they're quite advanced on how they respond to that. So a couple of years ago, and that was a parallel project that wasn't part of what we're doing right now. There was kind of a creation of a joint venture between the the municipalities in Vancouver and Emergency Management BC uh, to create this agency that is actually. Um, trying to coordinate the efforts of what they do versus or plus what we do at the provincial level, right? So it is, it's a learning experience and it's a, a joint experience in, into how to get to the next level uh, to be prepared for a catastrophic event. Well, to jump into the project manager, program management uh, terminology here, you, ha you will eventually be know all your stakeholders mm -hmm. and all the dependencies. Yep. Because, uh, as you were just saying, uh, the collaboration, you would have to know what they're going to do. They have to know what you're going to do so that uh, you know, both sides aren't just left with a whole bunch of assumptions yep. and then everything falls apart. Yeah, th there are uh, there are right now quite a few um, documents that outline how that works. Uh, now, most of them really relate <coughs> to uh, what we call local emergencies, so a forest fire or a flood or uh, know, an event in an area of the province, right? So the big difference with this particular case is that we're looking at something that is catastrophic in nature, affecting the two biggest cities in the province, which, by the way, is where most of the provincial government sits, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you have offices from government in Kamloops, in Fort Nelson, in Prince George, uh, but the thing is that there are just offices. So right. all, all the... Uh, the main services from government actually reside in Victoria and or Vancouver. So it is clear that if those two cities are crippled, then the whole province is going to have a problem to continue providing those services to, to citizens anywhere, right? Right. So, yeah. Well, I know you mentioned uh, forest fires, and I just wanted to quickly touch on that, that I know that's not what you're focusing on, but I know BC has uh, a very... Um, uh, rigorous, let's say, response with uh, fires because uh, last was it last year or the yeah, year the last two years, last, actually. last two years, yep. you know, uh, the province has had a lot yep. of terrible forest fires. Yeah, well, the two biggest forest fires on record actually happened the last two years, so uh, we're calling that the new normal, which is not good. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but that's that's exactly what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but bringing that back to what we're doing right now, that those are examples of events that. 
uh, we don't necessarily uh, classify as catastrophic events at the mm -hmm. provincial level, right. but of course they are very, very disruptive at a local level. So we do think that some of the principles that we're applying here will actually um, help some of the agencies working on those kind of um, events. Also, oh, there's um, still some lessons learned to take. Oh yeah, that. for sure. Oh, yeah. And and there are. So for example, we we have a whole different group of people that are looking at the uh, response to the forest fires of 2017 and 2018, and there are things that are coming out of those um, uh, events as lessons learned, and we are in close contact with them just to understand what's coming out and see what of those things we can actually um, include in our in our uh, plans, right? Because there's things like communications and things like that that are very generic in nature, mm -hmm. but of course when you have an event like that, you understand, okay, well, this worked, this didn't work, and so on. So we right. can take that and say, okay, yeah, we know that if we write this on paper, it may work, but I mean, reality is that this may not work in an event like that, right? right. So we, we do have communication with these groups that are doing this assessment on how the province responded to those events, and uh, we're actually getting very, very interesting lessons learned. Well, it's, it goes back to the collaborative approach, which you mentioned at the very start of the segment. Yep, that's exactly it. Oh, good. Well, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with Ivan Rincon, uh, representing the government of British Columbia here in Canada and the emergency response uh, team that he's working with. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Beauty is always a reflection of how we are taking care of ourselves from the inside, and our business is no different. Building your business brand is a direct reflection of you. In today's competitive landscape, personal and proven leadership skills can ensure that our brands and businesses succeed. Join host Bonnie Bonadeo and visionary guest experts to help you find success. Tune into beautiful brands inside and out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. 
And welcome back. We are talking today with Ivan Rincon from the government of uh, British Columbia here in Canada. And your presentation, you mentioned catastrophic response actions or CRAs. Can you explain that to us and you know give some examples of what you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, so what we did when we were given this mandate by the provincial government was uh, think about what are the key things that the government needs to do to continue offering their services to citizens in a catastrophic event um, that are critical. So what are the things that really we must have, right? And um, so we call those catastrophic response actions. So basically is what are those things that each ministry and central agency have to have in place if we don't want I don't know, total, total mayhem in the province in, in right. that sense, right? So some examples are, and most of the ministries have this, uh, they have to stand up their ministry operation centers. So they need to m- make sure that they have the right people collocated in a in a place where they can actually start coordinating the actions that whatever action they want to take right so for most ministries and central agencies that's usually the number f- the number one CRA uh, depending on the ministry then you start going down into okay so what's next what are the uh, int- the, the most important things that we need to do so for example for um, the Ministry of Transportation, one of the key aspects is to go and assess the critical infrastructure, bridges, uh, tunnels, and so on, right? So that's a critical uh, catastrophic response action for them. Uh, For the Ministry of Finance, they have to start looking at the legislation and signing orders to be able to release funds to respond to the emergency. Uh, The one thing that is interesting about the CRAs is that um, you can actually think of many aspects of what you do, uh, but there are two kind of restrictions that we put on ourselves when we did the analysis. The first one is that they really have to be critical actions, right? So if a ministry comes back to me, I say, oh no, for me it's critical to deal with the hunting and fishing licenses. Uh, not really, no, no, right? No. There's an earthquake probably that's not necessarily yeah, something having, critical. Having, done, having yeah. done many business impact analyses, you know, this the same kind of thing. Everyone's critical until you really start questioning. Yeah, exactly. So that was the, <clears throat> the first restriction or the first uh, characteristic that we really want to pursue. And the other one is what is the time frame? And I'll tell you in a, in a second why. So we say, okay, well, we need to frame uh, in in, a, in in the timeline where those CRAs actually fall. So after talking to some people and looking at some of the best practices and some lessons learned from Chris Church, for example, in New Zealand mm-hmm. and so on, we decided that we were going to talk about actions that were taken between three hours after the event and up to seven days after the event. So why that window? First of all, the first three hours because an event like this will disrupt everything. So um, it would be impossible, it's not feasible to ask people to actually do things, right? Because they're concerned, where's my family? I mean, am I safe? Where am I? Stuff like that, right? So Mm -hmm. we really can't necessarily plan for anything as a government to happen before three hours after the actual event. And then the end of that window is the point where we believe that the province is actually capable of entering into a sustained response mode, which means that most BCPs and disaster recovery plans and so on will actually be in place and actually uh, kicking in 
for the different areas, right? So, mm -hmm. so that gap between the three hours and the seven days is where we said, okay, well, there are there are actually uh, spaces where we may find entities that really don't know what to do or they're not sure what to do. So let's focus on that. So that's kind of the the other elements of the CRA is that it is there are things that they have to do between three hours and seven days after the catastrophic event. Does with that three hour gap that you mentioned, does that mean I'm not putting you on the spot, does that mean that uh, there's no communication or anything or does it really depend there are many, uh, again, going through uh, lessons learned from, from uh, previous events, uh, Chris George, Tokuhu in Japan, and some others. Uh, what we found out is that, um, except for first responders, like, you know, like firemen and police, and in some cases, army and so on, really the, the government, the, the let's call it the bureaucrats, the people like us who actually do things for the citizens um, are in a whole different mode, right? And again, if that happens while I'm in my office, uh, the first thing I'm going to be asking is, where is my family, right? So I actually mm -hmm. go and try to find out where they are, are they okay and everything, right? right? So, so <coughs> there are disruptions that we know are going to happen. So we work pretty closely, for example, with the telecommunications providers and they have told us like, okay, well, this is, these are the possible scenarios. And in most of those scenarios, there are disruptions to telecommunications and so on. There are disruptions to critical infrastructure. So we know that some of the bridges, for example, will, will not be uh, safe to use and so on. So there are disruptions that will cause uh, inability for people to get to places where they have to be or where they may want to perform some actions, right? So, so really those first three hours is that we have to let the dust settle and see what's going on, right? And then from that point on, we start working. Now, from the pure government perspective, we do have some things in place, like for example, there is something called the uh, emergency crisis lane, uh, line, which is a phone call that is actually made by an authorized official as soon as practical, practical, practicable possible and connect with the ministers and connect to the premier and the lieutenant governor and so on in such a way that we know that the government is there to actually constitutionally continue to be the government, right? Mm -hmm. So those things will happen. Uh, so for that, uh, for that purpose, we have sat phones and things like that that we, that we have already prepared. Um, but to your question, the general assumption is that those first three hours are really critical to let the things kind of, okay, well, settle and okay, now what we need to do, right? So that's that's the intent of giving people that those first three hours to understand what's going on. So even though we may not see it, there is actually things going on. Oh, yeah, no, behind the scenes, there, there, you know, so, so the one thing that you probably won't get is your, I know, your Ministry of Finance check, right, in the mail at that particular moment, because that's not important well, at that point. Well, right? the, check so I want, the check I want, <laughs> if it's to me, it's the bills I don't want. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, no, there are things happening, and actually, uh, from the co constitutional perspective, those things must happen, because there has to be a clear understanding of who is in power, right? So right. Th there are some uh, legal uh, consequences if, for example, the premier is not available or if uh, the chief justice, chief justice is not available. So those things have to be sorted out before 
some of the other actions take place. So yeah, there's 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 a bunch of little small things that need to happen uh, even before those first three hours. Well, you mentioned a couple of points there, and the the one you just touched on, uh, validating that certain people are required. Mm -hmm. So I would assume that you're at some point, if not already, you've gone through the exercise of making sure there's backups for people. Because you can't, in a catastrophic event, you can't assume everyone is available yeah. and everything is fine. And so one of the interesting things we found out in the process of going through the different ministries and entities, and uh, we did um, almost 30 workshops, uh, which is a lot, and considering this is a cross-government oh, yeah. entity, so, um, and we started asking those type of questions. And one thing that we found out is that there was no uh, clear understanding across the board what a, a specific role slash person uh, will have to do if they're not available. So, trying to explain that. So, in some cases, for example, some of the plans had person X, right? John mm -hmm. had to be available for this, right? So then we ask the question: Okay, what happens if John is not available? And they were like, blank stairs. Uh, no, that's not possible. Like, okay, well, that's the case because we don't know where John is going to be, right? He may be under this rubble in this building or maybe in his home and he cannot get here because the bridge that he has to cross is is not safe anymore. So so that, that was part of the problem. Now, in some other entities that had a little bit more maturity on planning for those things, they actually have roles. And that's easier to understand from the business continuity perspective, right? Because mm -hmm. if you have the role, as you say, then you have a person that fulfills that role, but then you have backups for that particular role, right? So it's not tied to the person. Uh, so it's easier to actually walk through the process. Okay, well, if this person is not available, well, oh yeah, no, this person also has that role. No, but what happens if that person, okay, yeah, no, we have all this other person that fulfills that role, right? So it's easier to do that. And that's one of the findings that we that we had um, over the course of this whole engagement is that the, the level of maturity of the different ministries and agencies was, was very different, right? Some of them really got it, uh, especially those who have to deal with these things anyway, like for example, the Ministry of Health, mm -hmm. um, the Ministry of Education, and so on. But there are others that, I mean, they it's not that they don't know, it's that they haven't actually had to deal with something like this, so they don't necessarily understand what is what is uh, required of them. So it's top of mind. It, it, oh, yeah. We kind of work based on assumptions all the time, and then when we're challenged on that assumption or questioned, it's Oh, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I mean, we have many situations. So, in, in some in some places, we started this exercise looking at their BCPs, right? The business continuity plan, right? Which, um, again, they were sound and all that, right? But uh, in many cases, the very first assumption was, okay, we will um, convene in location A to do this and this and that, right? Okay, first question for you guys. What happens if location A is actually a pile of rubble? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we're not sure. Okay, well, you have a problem there, right? So, people were putting a different um, mindset on what a catastrophic event is because most BCPs mm -hmm. are actually built, and that's true f not only for the government of BC, but in general, when you look at that, um, many BCPs are created for the regular events that happen in a, an organization like a fire in a building or a flow, flood or a you know, pandemic or stuff like that, which is bad, but it's not as bad as a 7.5 earthquake just right underneath your feet, right? So, right? so the mindset had to be different and some people didn't really have the understanding of what that actually meant. So we, we actually started the workshops actually 
telling the story, right? The picture. So this is what is going to happen, and the buildings are going to be down, and uh, there are some studies that the province has of what the impact would be in lives lost and infrastructure that is damaged and so on. So we tell them that story, and that immediately changed the feeling in the room because they were like, okay, yeah, I know, this is not someone coming here to ask me what happens if the basement is flooded. No, this is really something different, big, bad. And we need to think about that. And that was a, that is a process, and we're still in that process in the sense that we actually have um, found out that there is a pretty big component of change management in this whole concept because this is something that we've done now, but this has to be a an operational process that will continue over time, right? So we have to make sure that in 10 years people come back, they understand really what is there. And if you really ingrain that into their minds, into collective minds, right, not the one people, but the organization, then you have a more, an easier path to actually get better results in the future when you're trying to redo what you did 10 years ago, right? Right. Well, I guess, you know, some of those workshops too, by bringing forward those points, you know, no, you got to think bigger, is bringing that awareness out because to, as, as you said earlier, you know, people aren't always thinking like that. No. Nope. You know, and, and now no. they've got to think that, um, no, we're, we're beyond the flooded basement. We're beyond the sprinkler going off or the fire alarm and, you know, gathering by the big tree on the other side of the parking mm -hmm. lot. Yep. It's, no, that tree is gone, the parking lot is gone, mm -hmm. you know, and that's got to be a real big wake-up call for people. Oh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, we, I mean, we are very aware of, of what's lurking underneath us, as we say in BC. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I mean, I would say the sad reality is that BC actually haven't, hasn't had a big earthquake in many, many years, so... I know some knock on wood. Where oh yeah, no. Uh, it is. <laughs> and uh, there's some references. So, for example, there was a big one in in Seattle back in the 80s, I think, and so on. So there's some hints of what may happen, uh, but the shallow events that may affect the area very, very heavily. Uh, not to mention, of course, the big one, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's it's something that people have not experienced in their lifetimes. So to bring that awareness is difficult, right? So. Um, talking to people, for example, that have been, for whatever reason, involved in events like that in Indonesia, in in, uh, in Japan, for them that's natural because they live that, I know, over the lifetimes they have lived those events two, three, four times, right? So they know what it means and they know what the disruptions could be, so they kind of understand what it is, right? So. I think we're lucky that we haven't had one of those in British Columbia, so we don't really understand what it means, right? So the awareness is there, but one thing is the awareness, and a whole different thing is, okay, well, now that I'm aware, what do I need to do because I have experienced that, right? So Right. Well, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking today with Ivan Rincon from the British, uh, the government, sorry, of British Columbia here in Canada, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. 
Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And we're back we are at the CRT conference here in Toronto, and we're talking today with Ivan Rincon from the government of the British uh, Columbia um, province in uh, Canada here. And there was just a second question uh, from this last segment I wanted to touch base with you on. You mentioned that uh, a couple of ministries, like the Ministry of Transportation and uh, Telecommunications, and I'm just wondering how, if, if you're fully engaged yet at this point, with some of the third-party vendors, you know, like uh, that are across, you know, the province, you know, that uh, deal with road maintenance or you know, are responsible for telecommunications and phones and things like that. Are you working with them and how, what are you doing to make sure that you're at least on the same kind of page and will work in the same direction, you know, the same priorities? Yeah, uh, the short answer is we work with them. Um, as private companies, they have their own plans and so on, but we do have a touch point. So there is a critical infrastructure committee at the government level that deals with um, these, organiza- these large organizations I don't, day in, day out anyway, right? Because I mean, uh, this is not only for emergency response, this is for I mean, all, kind of, of, all kinds of things that we have to coordinate with them. Um, so we are aware of that. So just to give you an example, back in uh, last year, uh, perhaps September, we had a big exercise with this group that I was mentioning from Vancouver. Uh, we had a telecommunications uh, workshop for catastrophic response. So basically it was a one-day workshop where we kind of came together and we have the big cell phone companies and uh, even some of the infrastructure providers that don't necessarily work into the telecommunications but provide some of the support for that. So, mm-hmm. Because, for example, you're talking about cell towers. Clearly you have to have a road to get there and assess the tower if there was an earthquake or something, right? So some of them were involved. <coughs> and it was a very interesting experience because what I personally saw and I was there is that most of us look at the same things. So the coordination is not that difficult. Um, of course, the government cannot necessarily mandate some of the things that 
we would like to have there uh, in the sense that we may have some different ideas, but that coordination is always there, right? So, um, yeah, I can say that, especially for critical infrastructure, um, all of the partners and suppliers that work with us are sitting on the same table and we're understanding the problems and we're, uh, oh, we're talking to each other to understand what we can do for uh, our mutual benefit, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. That collaborative approach again. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, um, let's see. Now, during our break, there's a specific question you wanted us to uh, to talk about. Yeah. Um, listeners won't know that I usually have a list of questions or co- things that I would like to touch on. And I happen to have it in front of me, but it's also in front of you. So, <laughs> so I'm going to ask I you the one that... a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you cheated a little bit. You saw what I wanted to bring up. So, uh, I'm going to ask you the question question that you wanted to talk about. What are some of the immediate challenges for the BC government and its planning efforts? Um, the reason why I wanted to to address this question is because that's probably the, the biggest lesson learned that we have had so far. So we have been working on this project for almost two years now. And the very first thing that we realize is that this is not as easy as it seems <laughs> for many of <laughs> reasons, just just to give you some, some numbers. Um, so as I told you, we had 30 workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those 30 workshops, we have upwards to 300 people from different ministries involved in those. Each and workshop? No, in total. In oh, total. in total. Yeah, oh. Uh, yeah wow. but that's a lot anyways. <laughs> um, but the most interesting piece, uh, which brings me to this question, is that Overall, we collected up to 10,000 data points, so 10,000 things that we had to analyze to understand what the resources are required by the government are needed to really fulfill the CRAs, because that's the other dimension of this whole thing. So, so for us, the real challenge is to understand what, how do we deal with those resources. And basically, when I say resources, we're talking about three things, um, IT resources, facilities and people and um, this is not a simple algebraic zoom like okay yeah three people here two people here two, nine people because there are many different variables that you have to analyze right so mm-hmm. so the, the first complexity that we found the first challenge that we found is that the analysis of those data points wasn't as straightforward as we thought um, and we have to categorize, we have to put it by the, in, on themes and so on. So it wasn't, it wasn't straightforward. So we spent longer than we expected, but we're in a point right now where we have a pretty good idea of where we are, right? So, so that's, that's a lesson learned, not necessarily for us, but for everyone that is trying to do something like this. It's like you really have to consider many dimensions of the same problem, right? So that's one. The other one is um, the fact that when we started going to the different workshops with ministries and, and central entities, we found out, and we kind of knew that, but when it hit us, it hit us hard, uh, the complexity of the interrelations between all those entities. So really government is an interconnected world, mm-hmm. and some of the ministries told us, oh yeah, we will do this and this and this, as long as the other ministry mm. is actually capable of doing this and this and that. Or we can do this if this other ministry is actually providing us with this and this and that, right? So those interrelations and those um, dependencies were pretty much um, a discovery because many of them, and you have to understand that some of them actually happened just because of the catastrophic event, not because on the day-to-day basis they actually deal with that, right? A great example is when you talk about um, 
the Ministry of Advanced Education is the one that oversees the colleges and universities within the province, right? And it, had, it has a very specific mandate, right? Um, but so happens that they are also one of the biggest landlord tenants in the province because they have these huge campuses and they have buildings where eventually you may actually bring people that have been displaced by the events on, right? So they actually have never thought about that because it's not their regular day-to-day -day function, but because it is a college, it's a university, it's a campus, they have to have a place there, right? So all their ministry... That they might house all these people course. that have been displaced. So all their ministry says, wow. oh yeah, no, we can do this and this as long as the ministry is providing us, the Ministry of Education is providing us with this, right? So, so those kind of interdependencies that are not obvious in the day-to-day -day operation of government kind of popped out out of nowhere, right? So... So it was a very interesting situation because now we have a second problem that we have to address. It's like, okay, how do we deal with these things, right? So it's through legislation, it's through policies. I mean, so there's there's no, not a magic one that will take all of those things and mm -hmm. solve them. Right. So that's another great example of, of those challenges that you face when you when you deal with this, right? And of course, the third challenge is, is pretty obvious. It's like, when you talk about critical response, uh, catastrophic response action, you're basically talking about the most critical aspects of what the government needs to do. That was kind of the starting point of this whole discussion. Um, but even with that restriction, when you look at the sheer size of everything that you need, uh, when you look at investments, for example, at some point you need to prioritize, right? So what? Uh, so if you, for example, are um, talking about investment over three or five years to get all those things in place, okay, what's first, what's second, what's third, right? So right. now we're in that process of figuring out like a priority inside the higher priorities, which mm -hmm. is always complex because you you know that you, know, you won't be able to fulfill all the immediate needs um, as people will expect them to fulfill, right? So it's that's a big challenge too. Well, like using, back again to the program management, you know, your severity ones, your severity twos and threes and fours, and finding out where all these things fit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But of course, I mean, when you talk to people about this, like, oh, but all these are severity ones. Like, okay, yeah, but <laughs> not everything <laughs> can. Yeah. So, oh, and I guess that comes back to what you just said about dependencies too. Yep. You know, like, no, you can't be a severity one if you've got all these other things that need to happen first. Yep. They're the severity ones. You're actually, you know, I don't want to say lower down the scale, but you're, you're a severity two. You know. So, as you can see, I mean, this, uh, when you talk to people that originally kind of outlined the mandate of our working group on how this was mm -hmm. going to be anything, uh, as we have moved toward this you know, process, we found out that the challenge, there are challenges out there that you know, we didn't know about, right? And I think it's natural in a, in, in a process where you are doing something for the very first time um, that you find these, I, know, I wouldn't say surprises, but these things that, okay, uh, this, this is actually different to what we thought, or this is more complex, or, or uh, this is not something that we have thought about, so we need to actually walk the path and make sure that we get there, right? So, Well, I am going to use the word surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes. It, did it come as a surprise to some of these other places, like the university, that uh, may have been told that, oh, we were hoping that you would be able to house displaced people? Um, did it come as a surprise when that you know was made... Uh, known to, I guess, people in the university community who may have had their own ideas of what they would be doing. 
Um, again, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise in the sense that, for example, there was an experience, uh, I think it was last year in the forest fires, where uh, many people from one area were actually displaced to one of the largest universities in the, in the um, Okanagan and it worked pretty well, right? So people are aware of those kind of things, right? Mm. Uh, it's, it's the context of that, right? So, okay. okay, yeah, it's not necessarily that I'm not going to, well, in some cases it may be a complete disruption and you may not have classes for years, who knows? Um, so yeah, but if the buildings are there, you may use it for other purposes, right? So right. Uh, again, because I'm in government, doing this particular function day in, day out, the fact that the whole thing is actually now backwards or it's, you know, right. I know head over heels, it's like, okay, what, how do I think about this, right? Um, so again, in some cases it may have been a surprise, but I I mean, I, I was in most of those workshops and I didn't really feel that people were like, oh yeah, no, I never thought about that, right? Like they, they so they were op have. open to these Oh yeah, these no, they were open, yeah. And the one thing oh, that good. is interesting about this initiative is that it's cross government, right? So the, right. one of the first things that we told them in the workshop is like, uh, this is not about your ministry or your agency, this is about government, right? So you have to think with the government hat, so even if it's not something that fits within your mandate or your, or your, or your frame right now, uh, you have to think of, okay, what impact that a specific action can have on the other stuff that government does, or, or the stuff that government needs to do to actually fulfill their mandate, right? You got to think beyond your um, the silo is the wrong word, yeah. but your your own ministry now, and you know you're not taking care of just your area, but now you've got to figure out how we're all going to work together to make something happen. Yeah, and I think that on itself <coughs> is, is an interesting mindset because mm -hmm. um, because yeah, I mean in the day to day operations you're just kind of focus on what you need to do and you usually do it well and that's your mandate and you do it right uh, but when things are disrupted at that level uh, yeah you necessarily have to change your your mindset right with all those workshops you may have already mentioned it what was your biggest surprise you know to hear or, or even idea that cropped up going wow that's innovative um, yeah, there were many actually. <laughs> I would say that personally, I mean, I, I actually have only been with the government for two years. So for me, the whole thing was a discovery process on itself uh, because I learned of things that some ministries did that I didn't know they, they, they were actually doing, right? Or they were oh. supposed to do, right? Um, so so again, yeah, I, I don't think there was anything earth-shattering like, okay, yeah, well, this is you know, going to change my perception. It's just the fact that people really need, needed to change. And, and again, I think that level of maturity on some of them was actually higher than I expected, not because I, the, I was, I was, I had a, a preconception of how they were uh, at the maturity level, but because I didn't know them. Mm -hmm. So when I went to them and they were explaining what they had and, and the plans that they have, it was like, oh, well, these people are well prepared, right? So so that was positive. Um, and again, in some other cases, it was just like, okay, yes, shift your perception and now it's government, right? So that's kind of, that was my, my main takeaway from those workshops. So we only have less than three minutes left. 
Do you want to take uh, the last two minutes and kind of give some closing thoughts on where uh, the, your initiative is going and what you yeah, plan on doing? Sure. So right now we completed the the CRAs were um, inventoried and were approved in 2017. Over the last six months, we were working on gathering the data and analyzing the data, and we are entering now the phase where we need to start I don't know, putting a wrap around those things and understand what's again what's first, what's second, what's third, and at the same time we need to start working on the soft side of these things, so the whole change management process that we're talking about, right? So so we're entering that situation, and the other thing that is happening is that we are going to be working in parallel with the province on their uh, provincial emergency exercises, just to make sure that they can respond to the, which is something that has been happening in the past, but now we're going to include that concept of continuity of government, and some of those of these things are going to be tested perhaps for the first time. So that's going to be interesting. I was going to say that's going to be really interesting that's if it's the first time. And you mentioned, you know, 300 people attending workshops with 30 different workshops. And then if you're going to test them, is the idea to test it all at once, everybody? Um, small pieces first? I think it's to, small pieces. You know. And uh, the exercise has already been, uh, that's been managed by Emergency Management BC and they have a plan. And But again, one of the five things that we want to be tested is the continuity of government concept. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there will be some things that we would like to test for sure and some others that you know, probably can wait for a few more cycles, uh, but that's, those are our next steps. Well, that would be interesting to do a follow-up at some point down the road. So I hope you keep uh, me informed. In contact, uh, yeah, sure. That would be really interesting to have some yourself and maybe a couple of others on to talk about how that went because that does sound like a big challenge and I think that would be really interesting for listeners and even myself. I'd love to hear how that went. Okay, sure. You know? So keep me informed, please. <laughs> Will do. So well, we've come to the end of our show. Ivan, thank you very much for sharing what the BC government is doing with the catastrophic catastrophic events and you know your planning efforts and uh, what you've accomplished so far and where you're going and as I say I really hope to hear more of what's happening so you know maybe a year down the road after some tests have been done we could uh, touch base again and Excellent. Uh, Thank have you, you on the show. Thank you, Alex. And to everybody listening, uh, again, if there's any topics you want us to talk about, please feel free to send me an email. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.